Well, good morning. It's great to see you today. I, I got to be honest, I'm just kind of still paused back in worship, and uh, I'm just reminded of how cool it is when you, you uh, see people put their time and energy and talents and resources uh, and pour them into other people. And I got to be honest, man, uh, Ben's not here, Sarah's on maternity, and we didn't miss a beat today, did we? Isn't that so cool? <clears throat> I was just thinking about Sarah and, and Ben and them just pouring into um, the guys up here, Kaylin, uh, Caitlin, uh, Mia, Weston, all teenagers, all, uh, all high schoolers uh, leading us in worship today. And that is so cool. And I'm just kind of stuck on that right now. But I love to see how... Um, the development and maturation of, of, of teenagers being used by God. It's just, a, it's such a cool thing. And so it's great to see you today. Um, we're in the middle of a, a series on Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Um, of course, I always invite you to open your Bibles if you brought those. Whatever you use to read the Bible, you should bring to worship, correct? Uh, I know that things have gotten to a point where we, uh, some of you, your Bible is on your phone. And I, that's, that's, you know, how, if that's how you do it, I don't know that a method matters. It's all about intake, right? Um, but I invite you to whatever you use to bring that with you and open it up. And as we, as we kind of mine through these 10 or 11 verses um, to allow whatever your source of spiritual in, the, the intake of the Word of God to be that, because it just, it's so much easier t- to grab a hold of it. But I want to start this morning by showing you a couple videos, um, just for, to give us a, a reference. This is for those of you who are familiar with The Lion King. Uh, they just redid The Lion King, didn't they? Um, in fact, I think my kids were watching it the other night. Um, but this is the old uh, version. Do you remember this scene uh, in, in that movie, The Lion King? So those of you who don't watch The Lion King but watch Star Wars, remember this scene from Star Wars? Those of you who don't watch these either, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but those are, those are key scenes in, in each of those, those particular movies where there is this idea of <clears throat> betrayal, or I would say misplaced confidence, right? How in the world could Scar treat his brother that way? No, no doubt, Mustafa didn't even see it coming in certain ways. Orlando do that to, uh, to his friends. And I want to remind you as we jump in today, uh, this just, this, nothing is more disappointing than misplaced confidence. Nothing is more disappointing 
than misplace confidence. And I want you to kind of hang on to that as we kind of work through this particular part of, of, of the armor of God that we're talking about. I would remind you that uh, we are, are obviously starting each series with, with a few words that we're, we're sharing. If you don't know, you can't win. The reality is that you and I are engaged in a, a warfare. Uh, we didn't choose to be in this warfare. It's just inherent to you as a human being. You are engaged in this uh, most important warfare that the world has ever seen. And what has happened is so often that when I talk about a series like this, or when you talk about this in the workplace, the marketplace, or in your, you know, in your living rooms, so often what has happened in our world is there is a growing skepticism toward the reality of this kind of thing going on. You know, because of enlightenment and because of the development of, uh, and the sophistication of, of, uh, of humanity in so many ways, there is this growing skepticism toward the idea that you and I are in a spiritual warfare, that there is something that is, uh, that there is a being that is a, a, a called the devil or Satan. Or, um, it, it's more of a cartoonish type thing today. And yet the scriptures and what we're trying to realize is that this is something that should be on our minds and in our hearts uh, all the time. What Paul said is, I'm going to write this book, Ephesians. I'm going to share everything that you need to know about what you have in Christ, what Christ has done for you, how you can now be connected, reconciled back to God, what God wants to do with your life, that you are his workmanship, you're his work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He just fleshes that out, and I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit to now enable you to be able to live lives that you never could pull off in your own strength or in your own power. It is this new level or understanding dynamic of living that you have never seen before, that, that God has always designed and intended for you through the work of Jesus Christ and through the power of his Holy Spirit. And this is what it looks like. And he just unpackages all that for six chapters. Uh, just like, wow, this is, uh, really, I mean, you could take the book of Ephesians and live the left, rest of your life just feeding on that, growing from that, thinking about that, and walking with God in that. And he finishes, though, with this simple thought of, hey, guys, I want you to remember one thing as you go. Finally, and he says this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You need to be aware of the spiritual warfare that is going on for your soul. The word wrestle uh, in, that, in that language, it, it's kind of the idea of mortal combat, it wasn't, hey, we're going to have a wrestling match, and if you lose, you can come back through the loser's bracket, and you can still... No, this wrestling that is happening is to the death. It is a mortal combat. You and I are engaged in spiritual warfare. And what has happened is the enemy of our soul, who is stunning and who is, who is crafty and is, is a schemer and is, is far more... Um, 
intelligent than we could ever be, has sown into this world lies and deception. And one of those things is what we live in today is we are not even aware that we're in a spiritual warfare. I could say this in the coffee shop this week, and I guarantee you I would get looks like, dude, you are weird, right? And yet all the while, the scriptures are continually presenting to us, this is the reality. And you need to be aware of it. That's why Jesus, as he taught us to pray, finishes that prayer that he calls for us to pray repeatedly and often and as a model for all of our prayers. Uh, Lead us not into temptation and, and deliver us from the evil Always, consistently, continually understanding. And if you don't know, you're not going to win. You're not going to be aware. You're not going to access or tap in to the power and the plan that God has for you in this warfare. But of course, God, as God is always who he is, uh, he has done something about that. And that's what Paul is, is, is showing us, revealing to us, that God has actually equipped us to win. It's the armor of God. And he uses this idea of the Roman soldier. And no doubt Paul, uh, who was imprisoned quite a bit in his ministry, especially in, his ministry, in the latter part of his ministry, would have sat at times chained to a Roman soldier. And so no doubt as the hours through the day went by, I'm sure he was conversing with these soldiers. He's chained to them. He's in a place where he's locked up and soldiers are always walking around. And no doubt he has noticed the armor that they put on. And this is the framework as God uh, inspires him to write, to use something that's common and ordinary, that's easy to comprehend for the people of that day and even for us, that, hey, I'm going to use these metaphors to help you understand the key ways that God has equipped you to win. And then as he finishes this, that not only have we been equipped to win, but we've been empowered We have been empowered for victory. And so we've looked at belt of truth, holding everything together, breastplate of righteousness, you know, these vital organs of your body. You are protected in this way as you walk out uprightly God's word and God's will, as you manifest the fruits of the Spirit and the life of Jesus. That is what protects you in so many ways from the, uh, the, the deception and the attack and the, um, the plans, the schemes of the devil is your own walking in integrity. It's that breastplate of righteousness. The feet shod with the gospel of peace, fitted with the gospel of peace. We talked about that last week. It's this idea of being well-grounded in the gospel. And that gospel is a gospel of peace that you and I have come to a new reality that we are at peace with God. And what keeps me grounded each and every day is this new relationship that I have in Christ. And it grounds me as a soldier needed those, uh, those uh, the, the, we talked through what the shoes looked like and, and how they kept them well grounded in a fight. The idea of the gospel, that you and I have a new relationship with God. It's a gospel of peace, peace with God because of Christ's work. Christ's work on our behalf, it gives us a a grounding in our lives each and every day that we are trusting in and relying on the work of Christ 
to ground us. Today we want to keep moving, and we do by looking at this next section. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In addition to all this, not above all in, uh, in point of importance or value, but over all. See, a soldier would hold his shield to defend himself. It constitutes a, it's a protection over every other part of his body. The idea then is that the shield covered or protected the other parts of the armor. So faith has a similar importance in the Christian virtues. The shield of faith. Uh, this is, okay, so let me explain this a little bit. Maybe some of you are very well aware of this, but uh, th there's two kinds of shields that, uh, that were used in, in warfare at that time. There was the round shield that went like right on your arm, and it was very mobile, and you were able to fight and move. You, you know what I mean? Like, doesn't uh, one of the Marvel characters have a shield like that? I look at Ken because he knows. Captain America? Yeah, a Captain America shield, right? There was those. But then there was also these shields that were, they were actually called, they, they were called a door. They look like this, okay? They're like four feet tall, and, and they're wider, and, and they, they were, uh, they, were, they literally would cover most of your body. It, it, it's that kind of shield. That's the word used here when he talks about to, above all, or what is covering, or what is the advanced protection in this warfare is the shield of faith, right? What's cool about these shields are you could hide your complete body behind them. You could crouch down and be protected What's cool about these shields is they actually would put hooks on them so that you could link up to the guy next to you. And you could actually, they would call it, um, I have the Greek word, it's like the word for tortoise. Uh, think about a turtle's shell. That's the word. They would actually, with, with, your guy, with, your, with the soldier next to you, you linked up and you created this whole shell. Where not only were you protecting yourself, but you're also protecting the guy next to you, his side, and it just created this greater barrier of protection. He was protecting you in a, in a greater way. The shield was like the primary defense mechanism in all of this. You had the breastplate, but you also used the shield primarily. Because what it says is you need this shield to protect you from the flaming arrows of the, of the evil one, correct? Well, in that day, they would, uh, and you've seen all the movies, right? I'm not explaining anything new to you. But in warfare, one of the advanced ways to, to wound or, in, or injure or even defeat an enemy was to shoot arrows ahead of time before the hand-to-hand -hand combat, correct? 
You've seen Braveheart and I don't know, Gladiator, and you know, you understand this. And so they would begin to shoot arrows ahead. Try to wound somebody before you even got to the hand-to-hand combat. What would happen is they actually had developed this system where they would uh, put this uh, composite on the end of the arrow that they'd be able to, to light on fire right before they fired it off. And so not only were you dealing with an arrow, but it was a flaming arrow. That what happened is is when it, when it would hit, it would send sparks of fire. Not only, not only would the fire be something you had to contend with as it hit, but it would burst, and all of a sudden your clothes are on fire. And anything that's flammable is, is all of a sudden... And so they learned in that day to take their shields and to they covered them with leather and then they would wet that leather down before they would go into battle so that as these flaming arrows were shot that as soon as they hit their shield it was wet it would quench it would extinguish those flaming arrows that's the imagery Paul's using for us to understand he says the evil one, and, and we've talked about this already, we referred to the different parts of, of uh, what he does in Scripture. But he is consistently trying to wound us. What is his objective? To rob, kill, and destroy. And as it were, it's as an enemy is shooting flaming arrows, trying to wound us in fact they say that the breastplate is as well as it was constructed could be pierced by one of these arrows and so the shield was necessary it was advanced protection it was actually double protection it was foremost protection in this in warfare Paul helps us to understand that in this warfare we have with the enemy of our soul, that the shield of faith is an advanced protection that we have against the arrows of the evil one. So my question is, what is faith? Where does it come from? This is what I need as advanced protection. It, it's, it's kind of a covering over every part of who I am. It's something I hide behind. The shield of faith. What is faith? Wouldn't it be good to kind of understand a little bit better what faith is? And I just want to take you down a trail quickly of what the scripture says about faith. It says this, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith comes from hearing 
the old school translations are the word, right? Faith comes from hearing the word. Please grab a hold of that. Again, the idea up front is a misplaced confidence. Faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, or the word of God. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from the word. Romans would also tell us, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Uh, This idea of faith is absolutely central to understanding our relationship with God. It's what we live by. Listen to what John would say. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. What is that victory? Our faith. Think about what Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews would say. Faith is what? Confidence in what we hope for, and it's assurance about what we do not see. Faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. In fact, he continues to mine that out six verses later when he says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You see, Faith is a central part of what you and I must have in our life. It's what we live by. It's what overcomes the world. It's what pleases God. Faith. This faith comes from one source. From hearing the word of God. And so when he says, use the shield of faith, we need to clue in to what that faith is. I would say it this way. Faith is an absolute confidence in God, his promises, his power, and his program. Faith is an absolute confidence in God, his promises, his power, and his program. Confidence being the key word. It's amazing what happens in our lives when we have confidence. If you've ever played sports, coached sports, you know this. It's amazing when somebody begins to believe in their ability. It's, I mean, just listen, if you watch a particular sport, listen to the coaches through the course of a season. Somewhere along the way, absolutely. Listen to players in interviews. The turning point so many times in a player's career is what? I begin to believe in my ability. 
I begin to believe in uh, my ability in those moments that I could accomplish. I, I, I like this little, <laughs> uh, uh, there was a little leaguer who came to his mom and said, Mom, I think we're going to lose the game today. And she said, no, no, hey, son, you got to think positive. All right, I'm positive that we're going to lose the game today. Right? Confidence is a key to making everything better in our lives. We were created to live confidently. And when we do not live confidently, we live at a quality of life that is far below what God has ever designed for us to live at. And we begin to question and doubt, we halt, we falter, we stumble, we question, and we begin to screw life up. I don't know if I should have used that phrase, but I just did. We mess life up, right? Faith is an absolute confidence in God, His power. His promises, his program. And what this does is this confidence causes me to actively trust him through dependence, waiting, and surrender. This confidence causes me to actively trust him through dependence, waiting, and surrender. This is what it looks like. Satan is firing flaming arrows. They look different in many ways, but essentially they are centered in one thing, making you and I question the goodness of God. It's looking different all across the board here. It's varied according to your, your background and your environment, your experience. But they're all centered on what he was trying to do with Eve at the beginning of our story. And that is to question whether God is really good. Because if he can cause us to question whether God is truly good, then it, and it, if we begin down that road, and I am not going to trust something that is not good. Question goodness. And so he's flaming these, he's firing these flaming arrows. I've just written down a few that could be varied in many. He, but often, he, these are some of his repeated arrows. The arrow of doubt. Can God really fix this? Can God really fix this? Right? The arrow of doubt. The arrow of disappointment. How can God allow this? How can God allow this? Can God really fix this? How can God allow this? The arrow of temptation. What is God holding out on me? What is it that God is holding out on me? That's what Satan did to Eve in the in the garden. You could be wiser. God's holding something. In fact, I've been thinking about this this week. And so often for us, temptation, it's centered in this. We give in to temptation when we believe what it has to offer is better than what God has promised. 
What God does, or what the enemy does, is he tricks us into believing that somehow living God's plan for our life is going to cause us to miss out on so many things that this world has to offer. What it does is it causes us to jump. What I would say is, honestly, most of Satan's temptation is to distort or cause us to misuse the good gifts that God's already given to us. Right? God, in His time, in His way, in His plan, has created so many good and fulfilling things for you to experience, to live out. And the enemy of our soul realizes that, and he knows that if we could just get a glimpse of what God has planned for us, that we would never doubt God. And so he's sowing into our lives, into our minds, into this world, this idea that somehow God's will, God's plan, God's word is causing us to miss so many things in this world. The arrow of temptation. There's the arrow of accusation. I'm amazed by how often I run into this in people's lives. How could God really forgive? Forgive? <laughs> how could God really forgive me and use me? I don't know where that comes from, but nowhere where I grew up. Forgive. Sounds good, though. I'm going to start using that. How can God really forgive me and use me? Right? This is a common tactic of the enemy. It's a dark, flaming arrow that he sends to try to pierce us, to get us caught up in the mistakes of our past, the bad decisions that we've made, the way that we've messed up what could have been. And we live just caught in this past thing where I can't ever gain confidence because I've really kind of just already messed it up. Now it's me just trying to navigate through life in some kind of secondary way. Where I, I right? Or how in the world, again, it's a simple idea, how could God forgive you? For doing that? Do you see how you mess that person's life up? Do you see what the destruction from that decision was? Do you see how the impact of the choices you made have caused you to be like this or act like that or have this impulse or have this struggle? And we live just, just caught so often in this idea of my past. And guess what? He's just trying to shoot that arrow, pierce us, to wound us, to destroy us, the arrow of accusation. Can I read just one scripture for you today? I, I would love it if you would remember this. Therefore, there is now, what? No condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. These arrows he's firing 
to wound us. And we are to hold up the shield of faith. Faith is this absolute confidence in the goodness of God. Where I am holding on to his promises, his power, his program, his plan, regardless of what I feel or what my circumstances are like or what I don't understand. I continue to have an absolute confidence in God. Promises, power, hope. You see, when I live with this absolute confidence, it is that first line of protection against the schemes, the lies, and the deception of my mortal enemy who wants to destroy my life. Faith. Absolute confidence. So I would say it looks like this. Faith calls me to act. It's an actively trusting in God. Involves looking at your circumstances and at God's promises and deciding to rely on God. Actively trusting in God's promises. Actively relying on God's on God, regardless of how my circumstances are. I would say, too, it's actively trusting, or actively trusting in God requires knowing your weakness and God's strength and His promises. <laughs> I would say it's this. Actively trusting in God means obeying what God has commanded. Think about Joshua and Caleb. Maybe you're not familiar with two guys in the Old Testament. Uh, the children of Israel were uh, being led to a land that uh, God had promised to, to give them. They were at that point where he had brought them out of Egypt, across the, the desert, so to speak, or that area, and up to the land that they called Canaan. It's a weird name, Canaan, Right? And so they send these spies in to check out what they are going to be facing. And you remember the story that the dozen spies went in, they came back, and ten of them had this, this they said this, it's a great place, I'd love to live there. But I'm not sure that we are able to defeat the kind of people that live there. Right? I won't bring that up. I just happened to think about that. But it might have been like Iowa a couple years ago playing Ohio State. <laughs> like, wow! That roster's full of 80 four- and five-star recruits. And we're little old Iowa. I'm not going to keep bringing it up. <laughs> Make you think about it. No, I'm teasing. You get the idea though, right? 
They said there were giants in the land. They were freaked out by. And yet Joshua and Caleb said, guys, I get the reality. But the greater reality is that our God is greater. Look at what he's already done. Do you have an absolute confidence in his promises, his power, his program? Come on. And you remember the story that because of their unbelief in God, their lack of absolute confidence in God's power, his promises, they ended up living, wandering in this wasteland area for 40 years. And a whole generation died because of their unbelief. They never realized what God had planned for them because of their unbelief. God is calling you and I to have an absolute confidence in him. That's at the core of what faith is. And that is what is a primary shield against the attack of the enemy. Doubt, disappointment, temptation, accusation, whatever the arrow is he's throwing at you, the way that you live, not being pierced, wounded, and maybe even defeated or destroyed, is the shield of faith as a primary protection, and that shield of faith is an absolute confidence. Do I keep saying that word enough? I want you to leave just saying two words. I'm saying it on purpose. Absolute confidence. That's at the heart of faith. It's an unwavering confidence. It's the essence of what Abraham had when his circumstances were poor, when he didn't know what was going to happen, when in fact things were like he had this unwavering confidence in the promise of God. That's at the core of what faith is. And it is a protection, a primary shield. that He can't even get into my head. He can't even wound my life. Because I just, <laughs> I just have an absolute confidence in God's how does that happen? Well, here's four things as we go. For us to have faith, exercise faith, I think it, it comes about kind of through these four. Recognize your lack of faith in God constitutes a relational problem with God. So often we say, I just don't know if I have enough faith. Or, yeah, I, you know. Listen, at the heart of the relationship that God calls you and I to live with with him, it's a trusting one. It's a depending one. It's a, hey, if I'm struggling with believing in the goodness of God, if the arrows of doubt, disappointment, temptation, uh, accusation or anything else are coming through they're piercing me they're wounding me they're causing me to drag 
understand that at the heart of it, there's a relational problem with God. Where I have not absolutely got to a place in my life where I am depending and trusting on him completely and solely. God is always moving us to complete dependence on him. Two, confess your unbelief and ask for God's forgiveness. So often we don't see this as a primary sin in our life. We look at things like gossip and, and, and lust or all these other sins that we quickly say, oh, I can't do that or that's a sin, God forgive me. And unbelief so often is left off the table when in fact... Unbelief is at the center of the table. It's a centerpiece. And you and I, often, when we're dealing in spiritual warfare and we're dealing with defending ourselves with the shield of faith against the lies and deception of the enemy, often he is, he is striking us in places because of our lack of unbelief. And it is something that I, I pray this often as a centurion prayed, the soldier in the New Testament prayed, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? And so there's a humility that is in our lives always that God continue to bring me to a place of unreserved confidence and dependence and absolute confidence in your goodness and your plan and your promises and your power. Don't try to work up faith. Just look to the Lord himself. Okay, I'm going to make myself believe. Good luck with that. It's not going to happen. Faith happens when we get our eyes on the object of our faith. Christ, who he is, what he's done, what he provides. Faith comes by us just casting our eyes on him, not telling ourselves we need to work harder to believe more. Good luck. And I would say the last thing is, don't trust in how you feel, but trust in the sure word of God. I'm going to not steal Justin's thunder because he's speaking on the sword of the Spirit in a few weeks. And he keeps telling me like, I'm not going to have anything left to talk about. So I'm going to let him talk about the efficiency and the power of the word of God. But I will tell you that faith is born in the word of God. And that my faith exists as I understand who God is, what he promises, his power and his plan that is revealed in his word. That's how I gain faith. That's how I live by faith. That's how I live in faith. Keeping myself in the word of God. And I wake up and I like feel like, can I use the word crap? And I don't feel like a Christian. I don't feel whatever, you know, like I feel disconnected from God. I maybe am, am going down that road of, man... What a mess up you are. How can, and yet what centers me back is the Lord himself through his word that causes me to have a confidence again. Right? 
This is how we have faith. I would simply share this story with you before I go. My uncle was a long time. He still has a radio, a nationwide radio program. Um, uh, he's been a, a radio personality. He's been a conference speaker. He's just a lot of different things. Good guy. But I remember him sharing this story one time. It's never left my mind. About in all the busyness of his life at that point, um, he also had albums. He was a singer. and You get the idea. Um, he would fly a lot. And he'd actually a lot of times be able to fly on these, these little charter flights. Okay? But this was in the late 70s and 80s, so, and it wasn't like charter flight for the CEO of Boeing, right? It was more your Cessnas and your small planes, but, you know, he would get from here to there on a small plane like that. And I remember him telling the story of one night they were flying across, I believe it was Oklahoma. They were, and if you, obviously some of you live there, you know how Oklahoma is. Storms blow up quickly, out of nowhere. Tornadic activity is just, boom, it's here. And everything looked good when they took off, the radar. And yet, in the middle of their flight, <laughs> they are in the middle of a storm. Lightning, thunder, and rain. And he's sitting in this little plane where it's really real, right? Not 737. He can see out the window right in front of him, and the pilot's flying, and, and the turbulence is really bad because it's a small plane. And he can see... The, the rain hitting and the lightning flashing. and He said in that storm that all of a sudden that both of them, the pilot and himself, began to experience vertigo. They began to lose track of whether they were flying straight or straight down. Sideways, or you get the idea. That he literally, because of the storm, lost track of what was really happening. Right? It vertigo. And it says he sat there gripped by vertigo, and he realized that even the pilot was having to deal with these conditions. He said, I, I, thought it, I, I truly thought that we were flying straight for the ground. I got so mixed up that I... I I, I lost. He said, but I watched as that pilot in the middle of that, no doubt having to experience some of those sensations himself, trusted in the instruments in front of him. Who his training took over. And regardless if he felt like he was flying straight to the ground, he trusted the instrument panel that told him exactly where he was at, at what altitude. And he said, I wanted to just grab the steering wheel and turn it or pull up. We're going down. We got to get back up. And he said that pilot just kept trusting his instruments, adjusting the plane toward the instruments. And sure enough, they flew right through. I would remind you that the word of God is that to us. 
It's that instrument panel, 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 panel. The storm of life, the arrows of the enemy, the doubt, disappointment, temptation, accusation, causes us to get all flipped around, life itself. And yet God causes us to trust in his word, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of the accusation, regardless of what we're going through. I trust in the word of God, and I'm not going to deviate from that at any point. I believe that, co- that pilot had absolute confidence that what the instruments were telling him, the panel was telling him, was true. And that was the only way out. So too, the word of God is that for us. In the storms of life, the onslaught of the enemy of our soul, the word of God is a sure and certain thing that will always bring us through. The shield of faith, absolute confidence in God's, in God himself and his power, his promises, his program, is a primary defense against the lies of the enemy. Father, teach us how to be people full of faith. Lord, I struggle with this. No doubt all of us at times, we're in this battle of of this is what it appears and maybe this is what I should do, but this is what God's word says about how I should live. We're caught so often. Help us to be people who have this faith that's so deep within us that we become to a place where we have an absolute confidence in what God is offering, what God is promising, what God has promised in his power to do. and Help us to not leave that place. This is our primary defense mechanism against the plans and the schemes of the enemy of our soul. So Lord, this week, grow us in our faith. Help us to continue to stretch out before you, confessing in our, in our lives any unbelief that crops up, that lives, that stubbornly stays. Help us to confess and repent of any unbelief to come to a place of absolute confidence in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you. I trust you have a great week. Go and be blessed.